You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those... Frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. With me in the studio this evening is Sheila Murphy, and Sheila is the CEO and founder of Mission to Mobilization, and she'll be joining me in just a moment. Uh, She came all the way from D.C. for this interview. I'm very grateful. Please stay with us, as always, as we go into our breaks to hear from our watch team of on-air contributors bringing you information on your health, finance, technology, business leadership, and diversity. And you can find more information on the show, our lineup, and access to our contributors at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And be sure, as always, to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Women to Watch. So now I'm very honored and excited to have with me uh, this evening Sheila Murphy. Again, she's the founder and CEO of Mission to Mobilization, and she's working very, very hard to um, support and bring resources to ex-offenders who are re-entering uh, society and kind of dispel some of the false perceptions and myths that are out there. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you for having me. So I understand um, a couple of things about your background that are interesting, and, and I'd love to talk about those first and and kind of see what it was that um, connects you from that early time in your life to the work that you're doing today. And I understand you were actually adopted uh, and raised by another couple. You spent your, your first year in an orphanage, but I would assume you don't remember that that first year. Um, but talk to me a little bit about uh, the, the adoption and those early years. Okay, sure. And uh, surprisingly, I actually have one image 
of what I call the crib bars. I remember seeing crib wow, bars. You do. Yes, and uh, a seemingly like a uh, maybe a heavier set white woman standing over me. Wow. And so that is uh, one of the images that I have, but I actually my family uh, adopted me after about 13 months of living in the orphanage and uh, growing up my parents were um, loving parents and I tell people this all the time that uh, you know, love is love. And so if you adopt a child, um, you should give them love and you show them love. And that is what they're going to receive. I never felt as though I wasn't loved and cared for and protected um, in my family. And so my mother um, ended up, they, they tried to have children um, up to the time that they adopted me for almost 17 years. Mm -hmm. And then um, after they adopted me, my mom stopped, you know, worrying about it and ended up getting pregnant with my little brother. Oh, she did. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. That's That happens often, it doesn't does. it? It does. Yeah. It does. I guess allevi alleviating the stress and the the wanting so bad, um, it's amazing how that can affect you, you physically. Exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah. I want to share a quote um, because it's obvious to me that your relationship with your mom was special and that she instilled in you this sense of, of, of giving back. I received my heart from my mom who fed a homeless man outside our stoop saying, you never know when you may be entertaining angels. I love that statement. So beautiful. Um, tell me about your relationship with your mom. Sure. You know, um, really growing up, and maybe into my adolescent and teenage years, I was a typical, you know, teenager. I mean, I went to, um, I went to church and, you know, did, you know, well in school. But my mom and I, we differed a lot of times on different things, I think, as, as children do. But my mom continued to model love and care for people and so that that incident with the homeless man it stuck with me you know she would talk about how there are people that are less fortunate you know than we are and if it's within our power that we should do something to try to help someone else and it may not be you know you may not be filthy rich and where you could you know give millions of dollars but if you have a couple of dollars if you have a cup of soup if you you know can uh, be kind to someone then do that and so that really that made a, a huge difference and it definitely did impact my life and I believe the you know the the work that I'm doing even today yeah I guess it just became second nature to you right you well were, yeah and yeah. a combination of that and and my faith um, I you know was growing up in the church and would hear about I, I remember hearing about that there were people that were hungry you know in the world and I decided that I was going to have a food box out in the church, you know, where they called it the fellowship area. And we, my mom helped me. We made a, a flyer to say, when you're at the grocery store, just if you're going to get one can of soup, pick up another one yeah. and, you know, bring it to the church mm -hmm. to help those that are hungry. And so um, there were always seemingly opportunities, you know, for serving. Mm -hmm. because there were people all around. I mean, I even remember, you know, starting to work at the nursing home. And so I would go once a week and work with those 
senior citizens that needed um, physical therapy. And so it just helped them bowling or, you know, playing different games and things like that. Yeah. So it's always been in my heart and um, that our household really kind of cultivated that kind of um, support. Tell me about your aspirations outside of that um, desire to help others. You did go off to college and you got a BA in marketing and you also got um, your master's in business administration. So what what was the young Sheila dreaming about being or doing? Sure. I My family has, um, my parents were blue collar workers, but, but within my family and then what I call my church family, there um, were tons of educators, lawyers, um, you know, affluent um, individuals, educated individuals. And so there was always this nice blend of um, of opportunities for me to see people making um, life choices that were going to um, either better themselves and or better others. And so in our house, there was no... Um, it wasn't a choice whether or not I was going to go to college. I mean, even though my parents did not, I was going to go. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I was going to go. I just needed to figure out what that was going to be, you know, what I wanted to become. And I actually started off wanting to be a teacher. And I would even sometimes have kids in the neighborhood, you know, we'd play in the backyard and I'd say, okay, I'm going to be the teacher. <laughs> Yes, right. I mean, my friends would say that now. <laughs> but, you know, and so I'm going to be the teacher and you guys are going to, you know, follow. And so it, it started working. Uh, I started working in that field early on. Okay. We're going to take our, our first break. And when we come back, I want to hear what that moment, that catalyst was for you coming out of school, deciding to go into prisons and, and bring religion to the prisoners there. You're listening to Women to Watch. Stay with us for Dawn Zier of Nutrisystem and Holly Dowling for our Leadership Watch. Now, the Women to Watch, CEO Watch. Hi, I'm Dawn Zier here with today's CEO Watch. As graduation season fast approaches, I'd like to touch upon one of my favorite topics. At some point early on in your life, you've probably been asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Some know right off, but most of us don't know exactly what we want to do and change our mind multiple times. Even well into a person's 20s or early 30s, they may not know what career they wish to pursue. And you know what? That's perfectly okay. Take me, for example. When I look at my career, it's been a nonlinear journey and chock full of reinventions. First, I was an engineer. Then I switched to marketing. I worked at a phone company, a bank, a magazine, and then became the CEO of Nutrisystem. I earned a degree in engineering before it was in vogue. I liked math, but more importantly, I wanted to get a degree that guaranteed me a job upon graduation. It was that simple. But I realized soon after that engineering wasn't for me, so I packed my bags and went to business school. Looking back, however, getting the engineering degree wasn't wasted time. It was invaluable because it taught me how to think, how to break down complex problems into simple components that I could solve for. While I'm now far removed from that engineering world, I can tell you that I use my training most every day. While one may assume it wasn't a pivotal part of my journey, it was one, in fact, of the most important steps I ever took. Which brings me to one of the biggest lessons I've learned. For many successful people, their career wasn't a straight path. So don't worry if you don't know exactly what you want to be right now. Even if you think you do, it's likely to change. Let each chapter, each role inform the next. Keep learning and keep ruling things out and building off what you like. 
No experience is wasted, and every position you find yourself in is an opportunity to learn, to figure out what you want to do, what you don't want to do, and more importantly, what your passion is. Thanks, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier, here for CEO Watch. I'll be back next Sunday. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Hi, everybody. Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Watch and a dose of inspiration. I am so excited today to throw this word out there. Are you ready? Who are your balcony people? Have you thought about that? Do you have balcony people? You see, most of us, actually all human beings, have balcony people. We just haven't put intentional thought around Who are those people? So I'm going to give you a visual. If you were to think about your life and you were to think about looking up at a balcony, who are the people when you think of who's been there for you, whether it was as a young person, maybe it goes back to a childhood, maybe it was in higher education in college or high school, and maybe it's been since then. Who are the people in your life that have been on your balcony that are you look up and are always there cheering you on? putting their arms out to you to lift you up, maybe during times of despair or times when you've been really down on yourself and you had no confidence. Who are the balcony people that when you think of have always been to inspire you, empower you, encourage you, and always be your number one cheerleader? And the challenge I want to ask you is make a list of your balcony people. Make it now. Don't wait. And when you do, let them know please, it's the greatest gift you can give someone is the gift of letting them know that they have inspired you, believed in you, and write them a letter, send them an email, make a phone call, whatever you do, let someone know. And by the way, how about you thinking about, are you on the balcony for other people? And as a leader of others, I would hope and pray that you are every day thinking about the people in your life and how can you be their greatest inspiration, their encourager, and be their balcony person. Love to hear from you. Please reach out to me at hollydowling.com. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm speaking this evening to Sheila Murphy, the founder and CEO of Mission to Mobilization, which is an incredible organization that's helping ex-offenders um, re-enter society um, in the best way that they can. And um, going back again a little bit, after college, you made a decision, and this is not the norm. <laughs> I'm going to go into prisons, and I'm going to sing, and I'm going to provide religion and, and bring spirituality to the prisoners. Tell me the, the moment that came to you. Sure. Uh, because I have always had faith at the bottom or maybe the core of who I am, um, uh, the church I was attending 
was going into jails and prisons. And so I thought, okay, this is perfect. I was already singing. I said I could, you know, contribute that as well as, you know, speaking. And uh, I, I was blending really um, my faith and the the thought around um, planning and outcomes. I'm I'm really big on let's do something. Mm-hmm. It, it is not okay for me for us to to see a problem and then not do anything about it. So when I went inside the jails and prisons, I thought that, okay, there's more than a singing and singing and providing religious services are are great things, and mm-hmm. we need to continue to do that. But for me, to your to your question, um, what was how could I be a part of the bridge? How could I help um, individuals transition into communities with maybe a softer landing or blending what I call faith and work together? Because it's not enough just to pray and say, you know, God is going to help me and then not do anything, not try to, you know, um, better educate yourself. Nor um, is it always just good just to focus on I'm going to do this hard, hard work and and not really think about um, the spiritual components and the, the support that you could get in, um, you know, in that transition. Did you have any fear going there? I didn't. You know, I've really been a pretty fearless person my whole life. And there was just a little bit of what, you know, what to expect. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. I didn't have any. Yeah. And tell me about when I, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about um, your belief in forgiveness and redemption, mm. right, is obviously a key um, to doing this kind of work and helping these men and women understand that, that they have that opportunity. I didn't start off really knowing um, all of the the data and the the problems, you know, the challenges that there were in prison. I knew and had heard, you know, from some, um, you know, ministers within church that people were incarcerated and, you know, they deserved a second chance. And so I thought, okay, well, it's true. People make mistakes all the time. And I mean, I had made mistakes and had been given second chances, you know, t- none, a number of chances. And so I've, thought that that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then just with my, um, you know, just biblical studies, it continued to be confirmed that that was the type of support that I wanted to be able to provide because um, I felt like our society was very rigid in or even non-forgiving to that population. So how do you speak to the question of, I think there's probably a difference between people who um, harm others, violent offenders, and people who are hurting themselves. Perhaps they're doing drugs or, you know, they're they're doing something that that really harms them and they end up in prison. Is there a difference between those two people in their deserving of a second chance? Well, I believe that that everyone deserves a second chance and that, um, you know, my belief is that the ultimate judge, you know, is God. Uh, And we do have things in place to try to manage um, behaviors. And so when people do things wrong, that there is a consequence 
for that um, behavior. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I believe that you know the, in this country we um, are our um, consequences. I believe far outweigh sometimes some of the um, the crimes that have been that have been committed. And so, it re- that are we really looking at helping the person to um, be redeemed and to make a change, um, or are we, you know, focused on um, uh, maybe even the the financial gain that comes from us being able to in- incarcerate um, individuals? Mm. That's I mean, a, yeah, that's a big. This is a big, topic. It's a very big topic. Yeah, and we and we certainly know today. Gosh, the you know the the, the issues that we're facing with over you know, crowded prisons and how can we better you know determine who should be there and who should not. I mentioned to you before the show. I had seen a visual um, in in looking into your work. This pie chart that showed the numbers. While they're very very high, there's many that are there that haven't even been tried yet. Um, and I think having a visual of those numbers will help people in communities better understand where we need to change things and and where we don't. And I think that um, we, as a country, we've done a really good job of um, isolating or insulating, um, the, you know, Joe Public from really knowing and seeing a lot of the things that are going on within the prison. And as we were talking earlier, that um, maybe within the last several years, even four to five years, where we have a lot more information, a lot more is happening on social media. Uh, We're having celebrities that are coming forward to talk about what's happening with mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. You know, but prior to that, there has not been the knowledge. So, uh, I, you know, a lot of people really are ignorant because they just do not have not been informed. Correct. Um, when we come back, I want to see if there's a any particular prisoner that you have met that that um, stays with you, their story. Stay with us for Dr. Mary and Richie for our Health Watch and Terry and Maggie for our Finance Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Diabetes, a chronic disease that affects the way you metabolize sugar or glucose, which is an essential fuel for your body. Insulin, it's a hormone made in the pancreas, so when you eat sugar or carbs, they become glucose in your bloodstream, then insulin moves the glucose into cells for energy. In type 1 diabetes, the pancreas does not produce insulin formerly called juvenile diabetes because most patients are children or teens, but it can also be in adults, could be from a virus, or maybe autoimmune. Your own immune system attacks the pancreas. It's not clear. With type 2 diabetes, your body makes insulin, but it doesn't work. It can't move glucose into the cell for energy. Used to be adult-onset diabetes, but now we see it more in children, probably linked to increased childhood obesity. Cause not clear, genetics, lifestyle, but we see it more often with obesity and lack of activity. Maybe fatty tissue surrounds the cell and prevents insulin from working, but we also see it in people who are not obese and exercise can improve glucose levels even without weight loss. Type 2 diabetes is a major cause of illness and early death, but it's also a public health problem, leading to time loss from work and decreased productivity. Good news, we can screen for it. Who's at risk? 
people over age 45. If you're BMI, that's an index of body fat based on height and weight. If it's over 25, if you have a first degree relative with diabetes, a history of diabetes during pregnancy, certain ethnic and racial groups, a history of high blood pressure or low levels of good cholesterol or polycystic ovaries. Next week, we'll talk about how to screen for type 2 diabetes. So listen to the diva doctor. If someone says, give me some sugar, you make sure you just give them a hug, not a candy bar. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth and you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry, And this is Maggie. And we're from Fortis Wealth. It's the last week of Financial Literacy Month, and we have a few more tips to help you get on the path to a better financial life. This week, we'll focus on spending. For most people, financial health doesn't depend on how much they earn, but how much they spend. Maggie, where to start? Well, first, document your spending. List your fixed expenses, the ones that don't vary month to month, such as car payments, rent, or mortgage expenses. Then identify and plan for periodic expenses, which can be a budget breaker. Think medical deductibles, gifts, holidays, vacations, some insurance bills, even auto registration. To create a balanced budget where your income equals your expenses or to increase savings, most people will have to find a way to earn more or spend less. If this sounds challenging, start small. Boost your savings by including all of your windfall money, such as pay increase, birthday gift, or tax refund. After you have identified the areas you want to change, revise your budget. Well, that sounds like one big jigsaw puzzle. It can be a challenge in the beginning, but this is not about sacrifice. It is about making choices to help you achieve your goals. After making the adjustments, you can move forward using the spending plan as a roadmap for achieving those goals you decided on last week. I would add that taking care of yourself is an important part of the plan. Being in charge of the family's finances is a big responsibility. Make sure that you maintain your own health and be prepared if something were to happen to you or another family member. One last tip I would give is consider assembling a financial team. Like Terry mentioned, managing your finances can be like putting together a puzzle. Working with financial professionals can help put the pieces in place. And finally, don't forget to appreciate the benefits of taking these steps. Change may be hard but the payoff can be priceless. In addition to improving your financial situation, you may also find that your money management skills can benefit other aspects of your life. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Sheila, I'd love to know if uh, a certain 
I'll say person. I don't want to keep saying prisoner, ex-offender, you know, comes to mind for you that has their story has stayed with you and you've seen, you know, a beautiful outcome um, in in the work that you do in the workshops? Sure. You, you know, Susan, honestly, it's that's a really hard question to answer because there are so many, even though, you know, there are over 8 million um, individuals that are under correctional supervision, which is hard to believe. Wow. Yes. You know, there are what we call returning citizens, so many returning citizens that have gotten out. And I think the ones that really stick out to me are the ones that they are making connections with their family. They're they're really doing the hard work of um, forgiving themselves um, forgiving, um, doing the work of having their family members to try to forgive them and look at what do I need to do to um, reestablish myself back into a, into communities. And it's really hard work because we have so many what, what is called consequential um, uh, um, uh, collateral consequences, excuse me. And those consequences are things about, you know, the background checks and, you know, discrimination with housing or food aid, things like that. So it mm-hmm. makes it really hard. So I'm I am um, impressed when I see um, these returning citizens um, make the connections and do the hard work of of standing and saying, I'm not going back. It doesn't matter how easy it would be to recommit, Mm. but I'm going to I'm going to make it. What do you tell me? What do you think the difference is in the people that really are able to do that and the ones that are not? Honestly, the the network. Returning citizens need, well, everyone needs someone. And so even more so the returning citizens that um, have all of these um, collateral consequences in their lives, they, uh, if, if you have family members that can help you, um, you have a, a supportive church or community organization, it could just be neighbors that are willing to be that community and support around you. And so the, the ones that make it are ones that have support. I mean, that, that's, it's, I mean, I know that's pretty absolute, but I believe in what I've seen. Yeah. Is, if you're alone, I, yes, that makes it so much more difficult. Right. Let's, let me give you an opportunity to tell um, our listeners, what does Mission to Mobilization do? What do right. they provide? Right. So um, we are really doing three main things to help change the perception that um, Americans really globally, but what Americans, um, their perception about returning citizens. And so we are asking people and working on the buy for returning citizens campaign. And that allows individuals so anyone can shop, buy, um, you know, patronize businesses that actually support returning citizens. And so because we believe that those um, organizations and companies that um, hire returning citizens are going to help them get back on their feet and they're going to help them you know, sustain themselves within their families, they're going to make their communities stronger and safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, the experience simulation, which we call Walk a Month in the Life of a Returning Citizen. It is a, um, a two-hour workshop that allows um, individuals to be able to take on the profile of being a ex-offender in our community. And so the the purpose of that is to see within basically under one month 
um, it's four 15-minute weeks, how you would need to navigate through the system that has a lot of roadblocks in the mm. midst of um, your transition. And so that is for, you know, anyone, and I believe everyone, um, to participate in that. It really, people come out of it, I mean, I'm just floored every time. I mean, many times people are in tears because they cannot believe how they have been treated or then identify how others are being treated with an expectation that they pull themselves up by their bootstraps and move forward. Is that a first of its kind, that that um, program, doing that? From what I've heard, I think I heard that there was maybe one um, one other organization, but I someone was supposed to send me some information about it. Mm-hmm. There is a poverty simulation that you may have heard of. Say it again. A the, poverty simulation, oh, okay. right? So people, you know, simulate what it feels like to be in poverty. Yes. But I have not um, seen anything else about a, um, a simulation for returning citizens. Yeah. And then the third area is our... Um, returning citizen-friendly churches. And so it's pretty much any faith community. And so I really feel like there's opportunities for everyone to be able to be engaged and involved. But where we are allowing um, or engaging faith communities to be able to be a a welcoming place for um, ex-offenders and their families. Tell me um, why... And do you have an opinion or a belief on why we have so many uh, incarcerations in the United States compared to other places? Money. I mean, it's, it's very profitable for us to incarcerate um, individuals. Now, now explain that to me because I don't... Right. I wouldn't know that. Right, right. So um, uh, maybe... It's, so... If we look at the prison, excuse me, the school to prison pipeline. So I think this um, report was done maybe 20 years or so ago, but you can Google it. And they began to look at um, test scores of third grade um, African-American boys. And um, from that test, from those test scores, they determined how many prisons they were going to build. This is true fact. And... Um, because, you know, it is, we make, or it costs about maybe thirty-five dollars to $40,000 per um, inmate to, um, to house them. So there, it is very lucrative, and we now have um, prisons that are on the New York Stock Exchange. Wow. <clears throat> Hold on. I want to continue this when we come back. We're going to take our last break. Uh, I'm talking to Sheila Murphy, the founder and CEO of Mission to Mobilization. Stay with us for Mary Manzo for our Tech Watch and Hanadi for Diversity. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch, Diversity Watch, Diversity Watch. Peace be upon you all. This is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. We've all heard of driving under the influence, but have you ever heard of thinking under the influence? Anger impairs our judgment. In a moment of anger, a person can commit things that are truly outside their usual character. A man came to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and said, advise me. The Prophet said, do not get angry. The man repeated that several times, and the Prophet kept on replying, do not get angry. Not getting angry could mean avoiding the reasons that cause a person 
to get angry, and it could also mean controlling the fire inside as soon as it starts by maintaining balance, knowing ahead of time that any word a person utters or any action they take could have detrimental consequences. Sometimes silence in a moment of anger is the wisest reaction in a situation. Prophet Muhammad once said to his companions, the strong man is not one who's good at wrestling, but the strong man is one who controls himself in a fit of rage. A minute ago, I said anger is like a fire inside, and the solution is to literally put it off with water by washing the face or performing ablution, the washing ritual before prayers. If a person is standing, they need to sit down, and if they're sitting down, they need to lay down. These are instructions from the Islamic tradition to deal with anger on the spot. Today's prophetic ethic is harnessing our anger and keeping cool. It's a trait of those who are loved by the divine. Quote, you should eagerly race towards forgiveness from your Lord and paradise whose width encompasses the heavens and the earth. It awaits the righteous, those who give charity during the good times as well as the bad times. They are suppressors of anger and pardoners of the people. God loves the charitable. Chapter 3 in the Quran. Don't forget to connect with me on HanadiSpeaksOut.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso with Pathways Consulting Group. From fingerprinting to DNA testing, science and technology enable officials to identify criminals. This science and technology has been around for quite some time. Fast forward decades later, science and technology have advanced greatly and, if used responsibly, can provide us with information that can help us personally. However, there's much controversy to the extent of the direction that science and technology are going. Have you heard of the term genetic fortune-telling? Much like genetic testing for breast cancer, which many of us are familiar with, this form of science and technology is being developed by scientists in an effort to provide a report card to parents at the time of their child's birth. The report card outlines for parents such things as whether a child has the genetics for cancer or heart disease or other such ailments. In theory, this report could also include the intelligence of a child and whether or not they will be susceptible to drug dependencies. Sounds impossible? But with the incredible advances in science and technology, it's all feasible. This new testing can both be exciting and alarming. Therefore, it's important to be responsible. In the next couple of weeks, I'll be going for my own genetic testing. My main area of concern is breast cancer, and prior to the testing, I'll be seeing a genetic counselor. Before entertaining any new concept like this, you have to ask yourselves questions. Am I prepared to cope with the results? What are my goals for this testing? How would I use the results? What will I do differently if the results are positive or if they're negative? And whom will I share the results with? As science and technology develops at lightning speed, it's important for us to get involved, voice an opinion, and stay educated. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Drop me a line at mary at pathwayscg.com. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 
Sheila, in the work that you're doing, I wonder if you can kind of describe a typical day. What does that look like? (laughs) (laughs) No day seems to be typical, but, um, you know, I spend a fair amount of my time, um, you know, networking. So I'm, you know, developing relationships either with um, the the clients or people that I'm working with to help educate them or um, or new, you know, um, opportunities. And then I spend a little bit of time with um, social media because that's a, another audience that um, we want to educate. And um, I spend um, some time in uh, with uh, returning citizens, you know, and being able to get a better understanding from them because they help to inform the work that we're doing. So I believe that mm-hmm. there's always this blend of um, not believing that we know everything mm. and how can we continue to tweak the work that we're doing as we're, we're serving and educating the community. Right. And that's obviously going to come from them. That's where you're going to find all of your ideas and better solutions. Exactly. Exactly. Um, one of the things I wanted to, uh, that I recognized too with um, the, the children of returning citizens, a lot of people don't know that there are 2.7 million children that have at least one parent that is incarcerated. Wow. And um, that cyclical problem, you know, continues to um, kind of impact our communities because if we are continuing to incarcerate children, then they will um, have incarcerated children as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, part of our work really is to help change the way people think about returning citizens and returning citizen families, that they do deserve second chances, but that they're just like us. And as those perceptions change, then people begin to make different decisions, you know, with with laws or within their church or something that you mentioned earlier about um, an unconscious bias. Mm. And so if you hear or you meet someone that has been incarcerated, instead of you having a blank look on your face or... Uh, maybe a negative perception in your heart that you then begin to think, you know, I didn't realize, or maybe I've seen some data that says maybe this, I needed, to, I deserve to give this person, or uh, this person deserves a second chance, mm-hmm. you know. And I've I've worked with a number of employers that have said, um, you know, Sheila, thank you for your work because before I wasn't really conscious of not hiring, that I wasn't hiring. And that um, a, a number of them have said that they started to hire returning citizens and unbelievably they have been some of the best workers there. They realize how hard it is for them to, to find work mm. and have had great success. And, and I would imagine grateful for that opportunity. Exactly. Right? Perhaps more grateful than someone else. You know, the, the, the issue is so complex. Do you ever spend time within your organization and your team thinking about the prevention of people being incarcerated to begin with? Because, of course, that's the root of the problem, right? Your organization is about helping them um, reenter communities. But tell me about you know, what you think about the, the root of the problem. So it's twofold. So I'll go back two points. So first point or first level maybe, even if while they're incarcerated, you know, I wrote a book, um, Resource and Released, and helping them to prepare 
some different things that they need to look at in terms of the forgiveness, their skill set, what do they need to do to be thinking about transitioning back out. So if they um, are just now beginning to look at that, that they can start before they get out. If we go back further, we, I, um, we talk a lot about childhood trauma, and that's something that we actually deal with in the simulation, but that some preventative things are when um, you have a, a solid, healthy family network. And, um, and so it, there's no socially normal family. There's so many different you know, families and the different units. So what we're saying is to look at how can individuals get the support that they need. So maybe if a young man doesn't have positive um, male um, influence, well, then they need to look for, or their parents or uncles or somebody, someone maybe within the church network or something can help um, be a part of that support to help them look for their next steps in ways that they can be um, contributors in a, in a positive way. Right. Do you have any political aspirations? <laughs> I know. I mean, right. You, no. you live in D.C. <laughs> and that's where things are happening every day there. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I do not. There's enough in the in the water already, you know, and, and my work has always really been about, um, you know, it moving people. And, right. And so, More the community and, work as opposed to laws and policies. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I do think we need women like you there <laughs> that are you. really you're working, you know, on the forefront and seeing and hearing from the people that are being affected by this large, um, you know, issue that, yeah. that we're having. And hopefully the work that we're doing is influencing and will continue to influence lawmakers, you know, and, um, and, and congressmen and women yes. so that they can, you know, help change the law. Yeah. If there's a, a listener who happens to be an employer, self-employed, and they want to get more information and reach out, where should they do that? Oh, please, um, at... Um, www.missiontomobilization.com or they could call on our 800 number 888-683-5388. Okay. Listen, you're doing great work and I so appreciate your coming here and, and sharing a bit about your story and what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you so much to my sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.